Welcome to One Hit Wonderful, the podcast where we're revisiting all those amazing reality shows that only had one season. I'm your host, Frank Pezzanite III. And I'm Meredith Broadbeck. And join us today as we delve even deeper into the raging dumpster fire that is high society. <laughs> um, um, today's episode, page six. Uh, page six, yes. Um, and I feel like the theme song should be Low Places by Garth Brooks. Yeah. I feel like they really missed the mark. Also, this episode title is inaccurate because it doesn't even make page six. It makes no. guest of a guest. Yeah, Very no. Very different. Nice try, Paul. It does not. Um, okay, so uh, I'm, I have just a little bit of light Twitter for us. Um, Lou, Lou uh, Lucinda, Lucinda Benton, uh, tweeted us and said, squealed today, uh, squealed when I heard shout out today on One Hit Pod. I cannot wait to talk about that iconic moment in the 90s. And also, literally the day after we recorded, she DM'd me um and said um there were no tech stocks um oh actually i'm on our on our twitter and not the um, not my personal twitter but dm me and said that it's very possible that the cw had ties to the empire hotel because in um uh in uh, gossip girl chuck bass buys it oh yeah so it's very possible that's why they were staying there and they had an arrangement which i hadn't even thought of and so that's a great little bit of intel I knew it sounded familiar. Yeah, thank you, Lucinda. Jeez. Um, and then we and Heather actually um, just texted us today, as a matter of fact, Loom Cookie, and said, "Finally, I'm rewatching. Going to listen to to the first four episodes. Can't believe both of you had never watched it before. I can't wait to hear what you have to say about Jules Kirby. Her IG is private, probably because she can't deal with people telling her what a monster trash she is." And then speaking of poor posture, is it in my mind that my back kind of hurts when I attempt to sit up straight? Do you guys ever experience that? Um, yes, all the time. That's why I'm all a the time. monster. I'm always <laughs> amazed that like, like when I see the Kardashians, especially Kim on a talk show, and she's literally standing up so straight that her back is arched. Like, I don't know how you sit like that for a half an hour. I would die. I would literally die. Um, and then she just sent us, you'll probably undercover, un uncover why during a deep dive, but I wonder what happened to season two, why it got scrapped. Um, and this is from um, Guest of a Guest, it looks like, and says, Summer in the Hamptons, uh, major network casting, casting new season of Socialite show for Summer in the Hamptons. Do you have a lifestyle of which most could only dream? If you are 21 to 25 years old and considered by others to be a true socialite, then our casting team wants to hear from you ASAP. You must come from prominent family and had ties to the Hamptons, especially interested in those with a privileged lifestyle and a boarding school background. Are you the first one to be invited to all parties and downtown events? And that went out on 4-14-2010. Okay. So right after the finale. So, you know, I guess it got scrapped. But that, thank you, Heather. That's great intel. Yeah. Interesting. Um, well, also, I do have a little bit of intel from a scene later in this episode and when it was filmed. And I was surprised by how early it was. It was even earlier than we thought. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, I also just a little bit of house cleaning. I realized that this podcast is not available on Spotify. Um, oh, we're not. Yeah, I don't know. I felt I we put ourselves on a lot of apps, but I don't think we're on Spotify. But I have figured out how to do that, so I will work on doing that. Hopefully, before the next episode. I think it's pretty easy. It's the same sort of thing with Apple. Like you submit and you just wait. Um. But I noticed I've started to listen to more and more podcasts on Spotify too. So I was like, oh, where's my own? Um, so I'll work on that just FYI, oh, wonderful. everybody. Yeah. And in case all of you didn't know, Meredith literally does all the work. 
all the work. She puts it up on different podcasting apps. She does the editing. She does the recording. Um, all I do is talk. So kudos to Meredith because she does all the heavy lifting. I'm also a web person, not a sound person. So I'm doing my best, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Self-taught garage bander over here. Um, but are you ready for this week's snob story? I would go ahead and say this one is a solid medium. Like I oh, think good. I, I am very ready. Hit me with it. Okay. So snob story number four is Julia Kirby. Oh, here we go. So I actually couldn't, like the rest of her castmates, she is a bit of a ghost, but I just found some interesting tidbits about like her dad and her family and stuff like that, that makes this one a little more substantive. Um, so obviously she was born Julia. She was born in 1983, only because I did the math from this episode going backwards. She is the daughter of Roger Kirby, a quote, Manhattan power lawyer and a French model slash ballet dancer, Irene Dreyfus who is descended from the Dreyfus family and is a cousin of Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Whoa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm really upset that Jules gets to hang out with JLD. That's not okay with me. But do you think she does? I don't know. <laughs> but I just they've seen each other at at least a family function or two, and that upsets me. <laughs> I would hope that after this show that she would want nothing to do with her. Yeah, I know. Um, so anyway, in researching uh, Jules's father, I think she has two sisters. I found some sort of like ancestry website that said Roger Kirby had daughters, Julia, Olivia, and Catherine. But I didn't dig very hard for the record of her siblings, but that's my guess. Um, so her father is the founding partner of Kirby McInerney, which is a financial litigation firm. Okay. Yeah. So that explains some dough there. Um, so her father also had a cameo in the 1990 movie Metropolitan. Oh. Um, so he is credited, I believe, as Roger W. Kirby, but it's because he was a former classmate of the directors Oliver Stone and Lloyd Kaufman, which fully tracks to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then um, in 1998, her father actually wrote a New York Times op-ed, like a, a response opinion, um, to the Star Report and in defense of Monica Lewinsky, which really, I, yeah, I found pretty badass in retrospect. And so I wanted to read a, the end of his piece. He says, of course, rational people do not endorse rampant adultery or perjury. But do we really want to be the sort of people who would consume a young woman's life in the less than likely prospect that a lame duck president could be removed from office less than two years before the end of his term? interesting well and like big kudos to roger kirby that's exactly what happened they ruined that poor young woman and not bill clinton um do you think it's because he realized that his daughter could probably be not far behind her <laughs> I, maybe <laughs> i mean maybe he also had three daughters of a similar age and thought it was terrible i i just it's hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that someone that cool and forward thinking would have spawned a monster such as jules i know right I know. I wonder so, how much he was in her life. Because her, her parents are divorced, right? I'm assuming. Uh, I don't know. I didn't find any record of that. Oh, oh maybe not. Um, anyway, going further down the line, when you look at Jules's IMDb, obviously you will see this show, but you will also see that she got an acting credit for her role in a documentary in 2008, um, which also has an appearance from Anthony Bourdain, and it's called The Life After Dark, The Story of Siberia Bar. Oh, um... 
uh, Paul is also in that. The quite a few member, a couple of members of the cast are in it. I have been desperately searching for it because you know every week when we record or every two weeks, I go on IMDb to see when the episode is played, whatever. Check everybody out, and I want to see this documentary. Like I want to. Yeah, I think that's a special assignment for us because now I want to see it too. Um, and Siberia Bar is apparently just like a very famous dive bar where a lot of things went down. So that's another. I would watch that anyway. Yeah. Um. So then. You know, I don't know anything about Jules's education or what she's doing now or whatever. So these are just little tidbits I found along the way. But in 2009, she was arrested in Southampton um, for petty larceny over Fourth of July weekend. So police observed her ripping down a Betsy Ross flag off the porch of the 1708 house on Main Street in Southampton. And she was also charged with consuming an alcoholic beverage in public. So the 1708 house is like a historic bed and breakfast in the Hamptons. And so she clearly just like drunkenly terrorized them one night while police were just sitting there watching her. Um, as much as I hate her, I cannot throw any stones because <laughs> before you were in book club, um, I took the book club to Rehoboth. We were all walking back from a nightclub one night. I was absolutely wasted. And there is a restaurant there called Summer House, and it had a giant American flag on the pole up front. I mean, really high to this day. I don't know how I did it. And I like full on basketball star jumped up and <laughs> grabbed the flag down. And it was on the back porch of my condo at the beach for a year, like until very recently. Okay. So well. I too have drunkenly defaced a flag. So it's just disgusting it is for me to admit, I guess Yucky Jules and I have something in common. Oh no. Um, well, it happens. So we know, I think we went over at some point that Jules dated Olivia Palermo's cousin, Nevin Donahue, Olivia of the city fame. Mm -hmm. um, and Nevin is also in that show. And I don't remember the city at all. And I definitely tried to watch it during pandemic and I couldn't find it. So I'll have to figure that out. It's probably on some like bullshit, like Peacock that always gets me into like a loop with logging in. Um, oh, I then, have Peacock. I'll look. No, I technically do too. But then when I go to watch things, it tells me I don't have premium. And it's like, well, what is my oh. husband paying for then? Well, and then I, I just get pissed. I do have premium. So I'll take <laughs> okay. a look. All right. <laughs> um, so another person from her romantic past, um, Charlie Denahan, he was an heir to a hotel family. Um, they own a couple of hotels in New York. One of them is the James in Soho, which rang a okay. bell. Yeah. Um, but her name was mentioned in an article when he passed away. He died, unfortunately, of an overdose in 2014. Um, but oh. she was, yeah, she was mentioned in the article when he passed away. Um, but then, you know, when it comes to high society and her being on this show, Jules was very angry at how she was portrayed on this show. And she said a lot of her comments were taken out of context. And I don't understand. What? Yeah. What? No, sorry. There's, it's not a thing. I don't understand how things that she has said can be like, what context are they okay in? I don't, I don't None. know. Right. None. So she didn't show up to the premiere party of this show. She skipped it. Wow. And she said, this is what she wrote on Facebook in response to the show. She said, I am sorry if you were offended. The show is scripted and we are given lines and characters. My grandmother is married to a Jew. Everything was cut and pasted to make it look like I was a stupid bitch. And I regret that they did not do a better job of saying that it is a docu-soap and not a reality show. Um, okay, Jules. Yeah. Not buying it. But I mean, the only way that could have been taken out of context is if before she said the, 
I am, I hate Jews and gays and blacks is if they said, what is the worst thing you could say about someone <laughs> that you would never say? And then she said that and they cut, I mean, like we heard the whole set. I mean, whatever. Yeah, I know. And in what context is it okay for a white person to say that they use the N word? None. Yeah. I don't know. None. So that's and also, it, I mean, she obviously is like a little brat who does whatever she wants. So even if let's play devil's advocate that the producers should say, we want you to say this. I don't see her going along with it. She didn't want to. Right. I wouldn't want to be on camera saying those things. No. Yeah. No, she's a liar. Um, yeah. But obviously she, her Instagram is private. I couldn't find any record of her on LinkedIn. I have no idea what she's doing now. I got very excited because I found a Julia Kirby on the wedding website, Zola.com. And I found a uh -huh. registry and I was ready to go book wild and look up all this stuff. And it was like some beautiful pageant girl from like Oklahoma or something. It was oh. not, it was not Jules. Um, so I didn't get very far. I thought I found like her sister's wedding definitely didn't um but i i tried really hard this time but at least her dad is a somewhat interesting figure yeah and he defended monica Lewinsky in 1998 publicly in the new york times i think that's pretty cool that's pretty awesome yeah yeah i'm into it so are you ready for this i am episode i surely am so we start i don't have a ton of notes and i do have a question for you so Okay. um just in the interest of full disclosure um i had some oral surgery yesterday was a little out of it. I feel fine today, but I was dragging this morning. So I only watched the episode once and took notes. So I didn't do it two times. I didn't have time to go back. So I have a question about something that happens with Devorah and you're going to have to help me out with. So we'll, when we get to that, I'll tell you. Okay. Um, so we open the episode at Oscar Blondie, um, which is a salon. Is that a famous one, Frank? I had never heard of it. I looked it up. It is still in existence. Um, I couldn't find out how much he himself charges for haircuts. Like the web, the website was a little confusing, but yeah. there, and the color, they didn't list prices at all, but their haircuts start at 138 and the most expensive non him person I could find was $400 for a haircut for, wow. for a woman's haircut, which is interesting too, because they differentiate on their website between women's haircuts and men's haircuts. And we do not do that at like my salon. Cause in DC you can't, it's, it's, you know, it's sexual discrimination. So we do barbers cuts and designer haircuts. So I'm kind of curious that they're still allowed to get away with that in New York. Cause they shouldn't be like, if I have a female client that has short hair that I cut no differently than I would cut a men's haircut, like I charge her for a barber's haircut. So I, as a hairstylist, I found that kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, I'm a little surprised she was going there at all. And I'm surprised she wasn't getting her hair done at Bergdorf's. Okay. Like most society women get their hair done at the salon, at least then, the hair to salon in Bergdorf's. And there's even a whole book called Bergdorf Blondes. That's like oh. a Sex in the City type book. So I'm a little shocked that she wasn't going to Bergdorf's. But other than that, that's all I, I have to say about that. I could also see Tinsley and Dale being the type of people that have like one hairstylist for like 40 years. You know, like... But that's what I mean. I would have thought it would have been at Bergdorf's. Mm, yeah. Um, well, she says that, you know, the social calendar never stops and that the world moves on with or without you. Kazi ran back to London and tonight there is a major event. It's the New York City Opera opening. Um, and she says going out is the last thing on her mind. Ha ha. But sometimes getting dressed up is the perfect escape. Also, I thought it was interesting that she said we don't really have much of a timeline here for gala one to gala two but i thought it's interesting that she, she hasn't even heard from kazi since he left yeah i know 
And she seems like the type that would have been calling him 17 times a day and then losing her mind over it. So I'm a little surprised it was treated with such like laissez-faire. Well, of course, in the voiceover after the fact, I have no doubt she did try to call him 17 times. Well, but I feel like this show has not done the best in trying to present her in, a, in the best light, even though she's a producer. So I'm shocked they didn't have footage of her like calling him a million times and texting him and freaking out and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, so then we finally get the little time card that says it's Saturday and we are at Paul's apartment on the Upper West Side. And he says that there's a popular misconception that he's a drunk party boy. And then says, quote, and yeah, that's a part of who I am, but I'd say I'm smarter than most people. Yeah, I also wrote that down. Um, no, you're not. No. I <laughs> not even as, a little bit. I think as soon as someone starts talking about how smart they are, that's just a no. It's a no. I also like, and again, like I don't like to see myself in these people, but that his couch was just covered in a giant blanket. Now I do that when I'm eating. Like I, I'm like a grandma and I cover all my couches with blankets when I eat because I don't want to mess them up. But I thought it was weird. I mean, he must have some old yucky couch that he just threw a blanket over top of. Okay, so he goes on and on about how he's, he's a stylist and has been for a number of years and he's worked at Vogue and Details and Paper, but he's gonna put that on the back burner for a while and he has a plan to get back on the map. And my next note says, if he's a stylist, can we talk about the ugly blankets covering his couch? Yeah. They look it's like a, grandma stuff. And his apartment is not cute at all. No, it's not. Not no. in the least. No. So style this, Paul. Yeah. Um, so then he randomly calls Tinsley to style her for the opera opening night. And it's an awkward phone call. Really awkward. And it just goes, I mean, we all know from Housewives and from this show that Tinsley is a pussy. Yes. She's 100% a pussy. She doesn't know how to stand up for herself. She doesn't know how to say no to people. And he asks her to style, uh, he asks her to style her and she, you can tell, doesn't want him to, but agrees to it anyway. Right. And she says like, you know, I like color and I'm a size two or sample size. Yeah. And he just says, okay. And then we get a big, or a brief, sorry, not big, um, scene of Dale taking her Kazi investigation to a genealogist. Well, it's weird because it's like two seconds of her talking about going and then we cut back to Paul and then way later we go back to the genealogist. Yeah. Um, so she is now overtly saying that she's reading a book about Kazi's family and the Nazi, Nazi regime. And so she wants to find out if they're connected. Well, and what really annoyed me is they, and I guess we could talk about this later, but they finally show the book and I couldn't tell if it was blurred or if it's just the quality of the YouTube video I was watching was so bad that I couldn't see what the book was. Yeah. I know. But that's what she's doing. She's taking this investigation to the next level. Yes. And we go back to Paul's apartment. And this is where we learn that Paul has been, I don't know, outed, accused. I don't know what the correct verb is here, but guest of a guest, this society blog of sorts, which I've actually found a lot of information on for this show, clearly. Um, he was, you know, they're writing an article, article about how he vandalized some girl's apartment. And it is um, Cleo. Jules, Cleo, Jules' friend, Cleo, who, by the way, currently works in real estate and was born and raised in New York City. Her Instagram, I found her. And we met her before when she and yeah. Jules went downtown to go slumming. She's Jules's Asian friend. Yes. And this, we did cover this um, with Paul's snob story that this is when he was like wasted and walking down the hallway and decided to rip off the sconces in the hallway of her building. Yeah. And so guest of a guest asked him for a quote and he says, I'm dealing with it. 
But I mean, what kind of fucking idiot child monster decides to just, I mean, it would be one thing to destroy the person you're mad at's own property, but this isn't even her property. Like it's the buildings. It belongs to everyone that I mean, you're he's an idiot. He's just an idiot monster with no self-control. And he's a drunken fucking toddler. And I hate him so much. I know. I do too. And I just like I, I can't imagine that. Like, I don't I don't know. I always thought that in my younger days I was sloppy, but I wasn't damaging friends' buildings. So I guess I was okay. No, I mean the only thing I ever did, and this was in I was young. I was like 22. And I regret it to this day. I was walking home in DuPont, like wasted out of my mind. And I don't know what even caused me to do it. And I kicked the side mirror off a stranger's car and then took it home and did lines of Coke off of it. But like, <laughs> I, but I, I still, I mean, it was 25 years, more than 25 years ago. And I still feel horrible about it. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, he's in his 30. Like, what the fuck are you doing, asshole? Yeah, it's weird. I was sloppy, but in a very like private and personal way. Like I was the person that would disappear from a party and they would like find me on the floor in another room, just like <laughs> being like, leave me alone. I don't feel good. Um, but anyway. Oh, and, and also the um the reporter who was calling in for the quote, his name was Carson Griffith. But what I thought was interesting is it seemed like a female reporter, and I've never heard of a female named Carson before. So I thought that was interesting. I have only in the movie Shag. Oh, I think I love that movie. I forgot about that. So yeah. Yeah. Phoebe yeah. Cates. All right. Yeah. Phoebe Cates is Carson. Great movie, everybody. <laughs> Classic. Um, so then we get another scene with Miss Devorah Rose, and she is also going to the NYC opera opening. <gasps> Shock of shocks. And she has a private fitting with Maggie Norris. And she says only a few privileged people get to shut down a showroom. And she brings her friend Eric with her. Okay, thank you, because that was my question that I had. So I could have sworn it said fiance on his title card. And then later she's talking about dates. And I'm like, who the fuck? Like what? And I didn't have time to go back and rewind and see. Okay, so it's her friend. Yeah, just friend. Who, by the way, looks like he's 22. Like, is he actually friends with the cast of um, NYC Prep? Like, what the fuck? I actually think it's like her intern. Oh, that would make a lot more sense. Yeah. yeah, that would make a lot um, more sense. So she's trying on, you know, these corsets that are very expensive. And she says to the designer, these are D's, this is 20, and this is 34, meaning like her boobs, her waist, her hips, and that it's very yeah. hard to buy clothes. And she tries on a $25,000 corset and a $12,000 skirt. Mm-hmm. And so this was, she, she talks about Tinsley and how she hasn't seen Tinsley in months and it's like she evaporated and she turned Tinsley into who she was. She put her on the cover of her magazine and restyled her hair. That's her big hangup. And I restyled her hair. Which is interesting to me because I would love to know what Tinsley's hair looked like before this. Me too. Like it wasn't no just giant and blonde before this. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know and what she meant by her that. saying restyling her hair was at the photo shoot for the magazine telling the hairdresser, bigger, bigger. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, what the fuck? Like, I whatever. Know. I don't and it's so silly. But does she, I mean, it seems to me like she ended up wearing Nicole Kidman's dress. She so did. She tries it on. She did. So she wants to find out why Tinsley isn't talking to her. And then she congratulates the designer and says, like, congratulations on getting, you know, your corset on Nicole Kidman on the cover of Vanity Fair. And she tries it on 
and that's what she ends up wearing. Which is, I mean, not for nothing. It's so funny to me because I feel like if you are a society person and you think you're better than everyone, which all these people do, why would you want to wear a dress that someone's already worn? Now, I get that that person is a celebrity, but still, it's like, eh, someone already wore it. Yeah, but it's also like somebody A-list and it was on the cover of Vanity Fair, but I'm with you. If I were her, I would have worn the other corset and just told everybody it was a Maggie Norris. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm like, I'm wearing a Maggie Norris. She also styled Nicole Kidman for Vanity Fair. You know what I mean? Like, whatever. And I actually liked the other corset better on Devorah. I did too. Agreed. The, the more sparkly one. And Agreed. I don't think she was purchasing anything. Oh, no, 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 no. That was yeah. on loan. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So then we go back to the genealogist with Dale and Tom Hefferman. I did a little digging on old Tom. Okay, let's hear it. Still alive. Let's Um, hear it. Thomas F. Heffernan. Um, And he has written, he's got, he has 12 works and 13 publications and 19 library holdings, whatever the fuck that means. Okay. Um, I couldn't find, like, if you Google him and genealogist and New York City, that is the only thing that comes up. Like, there's no phone number. There's no website. I couldn't figure out if he's dead or not. Like it kept Google kept trying to make me switch from genealogist to genealogy, in which case all of these other people with that name who died in like 1852 just came up. Right. Um, so I couldn't find a lot about him, but he has written a lot, at least about genealogy. So there you go. Yeah. Um, so this is where Dale says right to Tom that she's embarrassed and she's never done this before. And she says, Tom, I need the truth. Is my daughter dating someone who's a Nazi? Well, before they say that, like, I'm sorry, but I feel like Kazi and his whole family could sue the fuck out of them up until now because they are hardcore applying because what he says is, oh, his great, great uncle Henrik. And they're really implying that it's Henrik Himmler uh, and not some other random Henrik from Germany. I mean, they, they really give you the full, like, this guy is related to, related to one of the top Nazis before they do a total 180 yeah. and say that he's not at all. Right. And they find out that it's like his great grandfather or his grandfather that was, okay, was in the Air Force, in the German Air Force. And so Dale thinks that that means that he was like a Nazi soldier. And the guy's like, no, no, no. He fought to defend Germany, but that does not mean there was a connection to the Nazis. And I just, and then Dale on her way out, she was like, not a lot of land, not a lot of jewels, but at least he's not a Nazi. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not comfortable with how many times we're using this phrase. I'm not (laughs) comfortable with how many times I've had to say it, even discussing the scene. The show is so problematic. So problematic. And also he was technically a Nazi. I mean, if you were in the Nazi army, I mean, he may not have agreed with their beliefs, but he wore a Nazi uniform. But did they say the years of his service, though? 1940, well, yes, to 1944. Oh, they did? Yes. Oh, well, okay. World War I, World War II. No. I mean, yes, you people didn't have a choice. They were drafted, whatever. I mean, I get it. So he may not have, like, been a card-carrying member of the Nazi, but he wore a Nazi uniform. I know. I mean, not that I'm on Dale's side, but... I mean, I want to say that this is the last time we're going to have to discuss... <laughs> that German political movement, but it's oh, no, not actually it later in the episode. Yeah, we're probably we going to discuss it many more times before the show is over. It's terrifying, um, and they do not reflect our beliefs as hosts of this podcast. Everyone, 
A hundred percent no. <laughs> I feel like our episodes need a disclaimer now. Like Frank and Meredith do not support <laughs> the words of this show. Um, so then it's Saturday afternoon and the guest of a guest article is live and Paul sits down to read it like it's a poem while having a cup of coffee. And he says, ah, oh, whatever, it's not that bad. And the other part of him is just like, who gives a fuck? It's like, you already don't give a fuck. Um, and he was at Kelly and Ping, which is permanently closed. Okay. Um, and I, well, he's thrilled. Let's be honest. Yeah, he's he fucking is. thrilled. He's in the press. People are talking about him. I'm sure his favorite saying is there's no such thing as bad press. Like he's fucking thrilled. 100%. Yeah. So then he goes to Jill Stewart to do polls for Tinsley's outfit. And he talks to this saleswoman and she says like, oh yeah, Tinsley Mortimer, everyone in New York knows who Tinsley is. And so he, you get this little like shot of like Paul pulling clothes and like looking at things on racks and he calls the sales girl a biatch. And I actually thought she was being perfectly nice. She was beyond lovely. And shockingly, Jill Stewart on Broom Street is now closed. Like yeah. I think Soho must be desolate because that's where I used to go for hair classes. Um, like literally on Broom Street to Wella and to TG. And they both permanently closed because of the pandemic too. So I feel like Soho is probably kind of empty these days. Um, but yeah, he, I, I, I kept waiting for this example of the saleswoman being a bitch and she could not have been nicer to him the entire time. Yeah. She was lovely to him. I know. And what I also thought was now I, I would love to, I don't, I don't think, well, we know he's not a real stylist, but she was the one pulling the clothes. She was like, this is cute. And this is cute. And this is cute. Like I thought Silas went into stores and they pulled the clothes, but he she was, was pulling support. Yeah. No, he wasn't doing She anything. was pulling all the clothes. Yeah, she sure was. So people, then he goes to LaForce and Stevens and it sounds like that's, I don't know what that is. Is that a store that carries multiple brands? Okay. This is where things get real fucking weird. Okay. So I looked up LaForce and Stevens. Okay. And it's a PR firm. Yeah, that's, it sounded nothing like to, one. It has nothing to do with clothes. And it disbanded in 2015. And LaForce went out on his own to start his own PR firm. But I could find nothing about clothes or clothing or anything. All I found about it was PR stuff. It's a PR firm. So I'm very confused. Like, okay. very confused. Yeah, it's weird. And so then they're like asking Paul questions about Tinsley's, Tinsley's preferences. And he's like, I have no idea if she has boobs or what her waist size is. Like, he just doesn't know anything. This and also, if you were at a clothing designer or, you know, a normal store, whatever, I feel like you could say to them, she's a size two or a sample size, and they could figure out what her waist size is. Probably. And he said none of that. No. Uh-uh. So... Then we get a quick shot of Tinsley in her loft getting her glam done. There, It's three hours before the event. Oh, no, no, no. Wait a minute. Let's talk about the jacket first. Oh, the monkey hair jacket. That he said it looked like... Is that a thing? People wear monkey hair? Probably. That's nuts. I know. I mean, I own a fur coat, and I think it's nuts. Like, that is fucking nuts. Yeah. Well, it makes me sad. He said it looked like monkey hair, but that he didn't think it was. I, I don't know. The whole thing was weird. I did not know people were running around in monkey hair outfits, but. Also, we should we should explain that the jacket is also jet black, which yeah, we black. know Tinsley doesn't wear. No, she wears pink, fuchsia, baby pink, maybe electric. I mean, like she wears colors. She does. Yeah. So 
in the shot in the loft three hours before the event, she's getting her glam done. But my question for the for the plot of this episode, how can you get your glam done before you know what you're wearing? Oh, well, I mean, you can get your hair done. Yeah, but like, what if all of a sudden she decides to like wear a daring neckline and she wants to wear her hair up and not down? Or like, how does she know what her makeup's going to look like depending on what he picks? Like, I don't, I don't get that. Um, I don't either. The, the makeup, yeah, I don't get. Or unless maybe she said like, I'm going to be wearing bright colors and I want big, uh, who knows? I think it's more that Tinsley always has the same hairstyle, probably. Yeah. But I just, well, and you for the sake hair... of this episode... You do yeah. the hair usually before the makeup. So I'm 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 guessing that they were starting on the hair and that the makeup was good because it was three hours before that the, that the makeup was gonna come later. Yeah, I know. I just I would think proper styling, you would know what you were gonna wear before you did your glam. Why don't you tell the people what Paul brought her? <laughs> so Paul shows up to the loft and this did you notice the lighting fixtures in the ceiling of her loft, by the way? No. They were just like straight up like office lights, like medical office lights. And I don't know whether they were things really? that they use for filming. They might be to like light her apartment I'm, for filming. I'm sure they were. But they were like terrifying. They looked like surgical. Because I feel like when I've seen the the um, the roof of her like giant living room, or the ceiling of her giant living room before, I thought it was just like recessed lighting. Yeah, maybe they put up something special for filming then. For um, sure, yeah, for so sure. So Paul shows up and he brings her the jet black monkey hair jacket. And he brings, everything is gray or black. Mm -hmm. There are some cutouts. I think there was like a crop top. There and was, short. Yeah, everything, everything short. was short um, for a black tie event, which wrong, wrong, wrong. Um, and in Tinsley says like there was nothing colorful and there was nothing girly. And I totally agree. He brought her things that were sort of like, they weren't masculine, but, you know, they were a bit more, like, structured and, you know, just not not feminine the way that Tinsley wears. Well, they were downtown. Yeah. I mean, they were something like a rich downtown hipster woman would, like, a, a cool downtown woman would wear. Yeah. Like, not Miss Upper East Side fluffy rainbows and kittens would wear. Right. So then and didn't she... wear any shoes. No. So then she's like, I don't want to make him feel badly, but she can't wear anything that he brought. And she calls PJ, her other stylist, right in front of Paul, which made me cackle. And she says, you know, that she really needs his help and it's urgent, whatever. And then, of course, her real outfit arrives, which is what she was getting styled for the whole time. I also thought that it was, um, I was impressed with Tinsley that she didn't just wear it and cry all night. Oh, that she actually stood up for herself and wore yeah. what she wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was just, though, it was just so fake. You know, like, obviously, this guy shows up with one dress and she's like, oh, it's perfect. Oh, my God, I love the jewelry. Oh, my God, I love the shoes. It was like, that's because you picked it out probably a week ago. Well, and also, now, well, now, because I, I was about to comment, but now that you say that, like, it makes perfect sense why Paul was so gracious. <laughs> Yes. If he already knew this was going to happen, because I was like, this is not what I was expecting. I was expecting him to be like, fuck that noise. Like, fuck her. She looks hideous. She looks like a piece of cotton candy. What a kind. Like, that's what I was expecting. And for him to be like, okay, well, she looks really pretty and she went in another direction. And of course, I'm crying on the inside, but whatever. How did they bribe him to go along with this? I don't know. I have no idea. Like, I wonder how they spun it. So it was like, hey, Maybe they just said, like, we're going to give you a lot of fucking airtime throughout this show, but you're going to have to go along with what we do. 
Yeah. And then we find out later in the episode that she's wearing Marquesa again. So she, yeah. if Harvey Weinstein had anything to do with this show, it he might have. Oh, maybe. Yeah. She has worn Marquesa like three or four times and said it every time. But also, I feel like Marquesa was so of the moment then anyway. It was like the Prada, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like. I know, but still. Yeah. Good I mean, call on yeah. your part. Yeah. So then we get a scene of Jules and Cleo going downtown, which they can, Midtown is downtown to them, by the yeah. way. I, okay. Um, and they want to toy with boys. Um, and a little quick sidebar for you to say that I used to have this friend years ago and he actually he was a roommate of mine for a time. Um, and he lived in New York and it was when 2020 did this spinoff and it was called 2020 downtown, but they filmed it in midtown and I liked watching it. And every time I turned it on, he would lose his mind and be like, that's fucking midtown. It is not downtown. He would get so aggravated. <laughs> it's not downtown. Yeah. I'm not even a New Yorker. Um, so they go to Hudson Terrace. Still open to this day, only open Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay. But it's a club. Yeah, it's like a rooftop loungy deal. Okay. So Jules says that she likes guys that are smart and well-traveled. And then we see her talking to some guy and she calls herself a philanthropist. Serenity oh, now. Okay. Okay, yeah. Jules. Um, and then Cleo, she says that Cleo kind of likes grimy dudes and being a sugar mommy. And then they cut to Cleo talking to this like dirty looking dude in like a leather jacket, a Justin Bobby figure, if you will. Yeah. But, you know, not attractive. Well, they were also being, well, not both of them, but I feel like Jules was also being really gross with the elevator operator. Yes. Yep. That's in this my notes later. Lovely African-American man in the whole way up. She was like, are there hot guys up there? Do you like guys? Do you, I mean, she was just being patronizing and gross. Cleo was actually very nice to him, which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah, um, Cleo's lovely. So then we see them talking to these like very boring looking like, you know, boat shoe wearing Wall Street types at their table. And... Some guy introduces himself as Remy and they say, oh, are you French? And he says, no, I'm German. And Jules immediately puts her two fingers above her lip and does the Nazi salute. And did, did, did they blur it? Or again, was that my TV with the bad quality of the YouTube? Because it looked like I, they blurred it. I think they blurred the salute. Yeah. And then she like points it out to everybody who doesn't think it's funny. She was like, see, it was my Hitler impression. Yeah. I, she I, is a monster. Guys, I cannot. I can't. And so and I'm, I'm kind of annoyed that Remy didn't get more angry. Yeah. Like German people don't fuck around with that shit. Like they are mortified by it. Like it's of not course. cool. Like I'm I'm shocked that he didn't immediately storm off. Yeah. Well, we didn't see those men at all after that. So yeah, and then true. Cleo even says, Jules, you're a mean girl. She says that. To but then friend. continues to hang out with her and laughs it off. And I was like, whatever. Like, yeah. And because the annoying thing was in the preview of the episode or like with a, a little bit before it, they made it seem like it was a fight. That Cleo was like, you're a mean girl. And that's not what happened. She just said it and kind of laughed like, oh, you're a mean girl. I'm like, yeah. whatever. So then the elevator attendant that took them up to the rooftop is the one that obviously brings them back down. Um, and he's actually from Senegal. And so Cleo says like in French, like, oh, you speak French. And he says, yes, I do. And Cleo is actually very nice to him and says like, yeah. you're very nice. And like they chat in French. Jules participates um, and she didn't seem to be rude then anyway, but I was just kind of like, all right, point for Cleo because she was actually nice to him. Like it felt genuine that she was nice to him. 
Oh, 100%. I think Cleo is a lovely person, and I don't understand why she hangs out with Jules at all. Like, I don't get it at all. Yeah, no, me either. Then we see Paul at a wine bar called Wine Bar. Very Which, clever. good luck Googling fucking wine bar and by NYC, even if you make it one word and all that comes up are other wine bars. So I don't know if it's still in existence. I know nothing about it. Couldn't find yeah, anything about it. It was apparently in the East Village. Yeah, um, that's all I know. So he's just so tired from fending off the press, which is what he says, which is such a crack of shit. No one cares about Paul. No. The press is done. Guest of a guest wrote about you. And so he says, I did the adult thing and I called my mom. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so he called his mom and says he has to pay like a thousand to two thousand dollars for damages. And he says, so can you wire me a bit of cash? And his mom just like takes it on the chin. Well, and this is where I would, I, I mean, I would just love to sit down with his mom for 10 minutes and ask her a bunch of questions. First of all, I thought it was really funny that he said, we broke the sconces. We, as uh -huh. it was him and other multiple people. No, it wasn't. It was just you. And Correct. secondly, if I was his mom, I'd be like, well, where's the $50,000 I just gave you two weeks ago that you have obviously not spent in an apartment because you're still living in your shitty apartment with the couch full of blankets? Like, huh? Yep. And so he says that he wrote a check and he dealt with it, but he doesn't feel sorry. He just wants it to be over. And then we cut to Devorah getting her glam for the opera opening. And she says that she's trying to tone down the sexiness. Sure. And so then she has a very cute date and she says he's like an Upper East Side Ken doll. And then she says that he is like the heir to the Domenico Vaca like fashion house, but she said it so badly. It took me several rounds of Googling to figure out who she was talking about because she, yeah, I could, she I said, what she said, she said Dominique Ovaca, but it's actually Dominico Vaca. He's Italian. <laughs> <laughs> it took a minute. Um, and by the way, I did look up Domenico Vaca and it is quite a journey. Um, his dad, um, her date's name is Robert, but his father, mm -hmm. Domenico, that's a fun Google, guys. There's a lot of page six happening there. There's some lawsuits. There's, oh. yeah, there's a, there's a divorce in there. So if we see Robert again, I'll do a fun aside about that. Um, I also didn't talk to me about what you thought about Devorah's styling in this dress. Um, I thought she just looked like a washed out nothing. Thank you. So her body looks really good in this corset because she's got big, big boobs and a teeny little waist. But then she she has very long hair and they just did it full straight with, and it goes like past her hip bone probably. And then she just looks like a wall of beige. Well, I mean, she, her face, her skin, the dress and her hair were basically all the same color. Yeah. It's bad. Really bad. Why didn't we go like some old Hollywood, like a red lip and like a lash or like, I just. Anything, anything, anything. a or colored like, bag, anything. Yeah. yeah. And she's a wearing white shoe, something. She's wearing black shoes with like a champagne colored corset dress. And like, we don't, we don't have any dramatic jewelry. We've got no color happening whatsoever. Nothing. The dress was wearing her a little bit. Yeah. And I'm sure that dress looked great with Nicole Kidman's bright red hair. Yeah. But not looking so great with Devorah's blonde hair. Like, I mean, it just, it was a fail all around. And I feel like when I saw her try it on, I was like, oh, we have potential here. And then when I saw how she wore it to the event, I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so then we go to the New York City Opera opening, and I found the like paparazzi pictures of Devora and Robert Vaca. Okay. And this this event was November fifth, two thousand nine. Oh wow! They start. They were filming earlier than I thought. When did you think they started filming? I thought we we keep saying that they filmed in twenty ten. Oh, I'm an idiot. No, actually, I realized that today. So since the show was airing in March of twenty ten, there's no way, and it wasn't cold enough. Like it seems warm. So I think they probably started filming in september well now we know that <laughs> i guess we should have known that with paris fashion week also yeah um but anyway but my big shocker did we already know that devora was venezuelan because i didn't um i think i knew that she had hispanic roots yeah because she's from where is she laredo texas or something like that um because we see her speak beautiful spanish with carolina herrera when well, no, she said i'm from venezuela oh she did yeah. Oh, I missed that totally. That's what I mean. Like, I thought she was an American. Like, I didn't realize that she was an expat from Venezuela. No, I didn't either. Okay. <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm kind of fascinated by Deborah actually. But yeah. Anyway, so Tinsley arrives at the opera and she loves the big red carpet and the black tie, and she kicks off the season. And she describes her outfit. She's wearing light pink Marquesa dress and Brian Atwood shoes. And she said the name of the jewelry designer too, but I didn't recognize it and didn't write it down. Um, and she says she hasn't been going out a lot. Sure, Jan. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, people are asking about her divorce and blah, blah, blah. Um, and Devorah's date, Robert, is very handsome. And I appreciate that he's wearing one of his father's suit creations. But I actually found it a little underdressed for black tie, technically speaking. Oh, see, I didn't even think he was handsome. I thought he looked like Jack Skeleton from The Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, he's, he, yeah, he's kind of twinky looking. He's a little thin for me, but he's, he's an undeniably handsome individual, but he's wearing, it's like a gray. Wasn't it yeah, gray? Yeah. But I think it had like, there was something with white lapels or he had a white collar to his shirt. He's just, he's wearing a very nice suit, but everybody else is wearing a tux. So it just, well, I guess if you're the son of an Italian fashion magnet, you can wear whatever you want. Yeah, but you should also have the ability to wear like a dope ass like black suit at the very least. 100%. Okay. Anyway, so we see Deborah talk to Carolina Herrera in Spanish. Um, and then Tinsley also talks to Carolina Herrera about her divorce. Not and, in Spanish. No. And the designer says, so when things don't work, it's better to cut it off and sort of gives her a little bit of advice. And then... Devorah and Tinsley walk by each other. And well, before that, Carolina also says, like, if you ever want anything to wear, just call like Phoebe oh, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Or Olivia or whomever. That's true. She seemed like a very nice lady. She seemed lovely. Yeah. She was very nice. Um, so Devorah and Tinsley walk by each other and they kiss on the cheek. And then Tinsley keeps right on going. Devorah looks at her and says, like, oh, it's been a while. And Tinsley is like breezing on by. At top speed. She was doing that to a lot of people in her defense. But Devorah feels snubbed immediately. But, I mean, do we think any of this is real? Do we really think Devorah felt snubbed? Or do we think this was all just for content? Because, again, I don't understand why Tinsley, as one of the producers of the show, would allow this person to talk horrible shit about them on the show she's producing. Like it just, right. it's confusing to me. And then 
I mean, we before this episode, at last week's episode, they implied that Devorah was going to ruin her. Devorah's, and then nothing fucking happened. Like they walked by each other at a f- opera, and Tinsley ignored her. Right, and Devorah okay. vows. Devorah vows to like ruin Tinsley again, and says that Tinsley's fifteen minutes are up. But then she has the quote of the episode for me, and says, "If Tinsley's life were an opera, the fat lady would be singing." Yep. <laughs> I thought I liked it. I liked that it was topical to the event. I liked it. I mean, I do too. Like, I think it's funny and it's good TV, but I'm just really questioning if it's real. I don't think any of it's real. Yeah. Um, but next next episode looks pretty good. And Tinsley, oh, does it ever? Tinsley says her life is spiraling. Devorah wants revenge. And Dale tells Tinsley that she's trying to save her. And then we see Paul. And is it Tommy? Tommy. Yeah, it's Tommy. And Tommy yelling at Paul that he's not his arm candy. And then Jules gets asked to leave the Empire Hotel. Which I'm pretty jazzed about. I might watch it later just to get psyched. <laughs> um, and I love that. I don't understand why Cleo doesn't have a title card at the beginning of the show. But Dabney does. Who we haven't, And Olivia, who we haven't seen in forever. Yeah. Like, Chloe's been on more than Olivia, I feel like, or at least the same amount of episodes. Cleo. Yeah. I mean, sorry, Cleo. Yeah. Yeah. And Alexandra is gone. 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 I don't think we're going to see Dabney at all. No. Well, but I mean, shouldn't we? Because isn't she also getting thrown out of the Empire Hotel? I mean, she was living with Jules. Maybe. Here's hoping. Fingers crossed. Yeah. I'm kind of excited that Devorah's here to mix things up a little bit. And at least, like... Not in the way that Jules is mixing it up by being racist and making me talk about things I don't want to talk about. At least Devorah is entertaining me. Yeah, I mean, I'm here for it. Like, if the whole rest of the show is just her versus Tinsley, I'm totally here for it. And that's what I want to see. Same. Like, that makes for good television. 100%. All right, guys. Well, that's the end of the episode. And thank you for listening. And we will see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening to another episode of One Hit Wonderful. You can find us online on Twitter and Instagram at OneHitPod. You can email us at franklymarebe at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nana's Mink. And you can find me on Twitter at HeyIt'sMareB. Please remember to rate and subscribe. And have a great week, guys. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>